0: Are all weirdos. Weird science is the revolution. Weird science is the revolution. Weird science is the revolution. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Weird Dose of X podcast, a part of the Weird Science Marvel Comics podcast. I am Jim and I don't talk about the X-Men. So what the heck am I doing coming on right now? Well, What I'm doing is letting everybody know that unfortunately Chris had some personal problems this week, but we have a fill-in co-host to join Jason, and that is Ruben. Ruben! And if you remember, if you were listening, Ruben did come on when I was doing my X-Men show way back when, before the last Hellfire Gala was the last straw, the last nail in the coffin for me and my X-Fandom, but I don't want to... Pish Posh, the X-Men in the beginning of an X-Men podcast. Why am I doing this? This is not doing well for me. But yeah, we're going to go to Jason and Ruben. And another reason why I wanted to step in and let everybody know, Ruben ended up coming in at the last second. He was actually at work. Don't tell his bosses. But the idea where he ended up having to record with Jason and didn't have a mic. And I know and I know Ruben will listen to this and he'll laugh because he knows the one rule of podcasting is you need a mic. You can't use that mic in your laptop. But Ruben proved us all wrong. You can use it. You just sound like crap. So with that, I tried my best. It It is a little off. I will tell you that. But I hope it's good enough because Ruben is an awesome guy and actually does have a real, real big enthusiasm for the Xbox. So much so that it drives me nuts. He is so positive. With the stuff that it actually drives me insane He knows it And he digs into me I get messages from Ruben all the time When the X books are coming out He knows I haven't read them He knows that it triggers me And there he is with his manipulating comments Where he sends me a note You should check out this Like you know I don't Ruben But he does and that's why Jason and Ruben in this episode are talking About these things and I am not Because I have kind of bailed with that But I'm glad to have 2 X ex-fans do this And then hopefully Chris will be back As well but yeah let us know what You think let you know give Ruben little Shout outs and stuff like that I again I'm sure he would say the same thing We forgive or forgive We apologize for The audio and hope that you'll forgive him And, and let him go a little I tried to Make it my best so hopefully it's good enough For you to listen to because both Jason And Ruben really do love the X ex- stuff going Into Axe judgment day and all that as they go through that, so why don't we just go there right about now.
1: Welcome back, weirdos, for Cohen's and all you thinky monkeys out there. We are here, very slightly delayed, to deliver another weird dose of X. My name is Jason, and I am here with today, not our good friend Chris, because Chris has been called away by some real-life family responsibilities. I am here with emergency guest host Ruben, X-Men fan and member of the Weird Science Get Fresh crew, Beep Boop, So, Ruben, how are you this warm July day?
2: Hey, Jason. It's good. Summer's finally arrived in Seattle, which um, I think everyone knows I live in, and happy to be here. I am certainly a rose-tinted-goggles X-Men fan here, so (laughs) I'm uh, thrilled to talk about this. This is probably going to end up being more optimistic than uh, if Chris was covering this. Although, I have been uh, surprised at how much a fan he is, and... um, I think the the people that have been part of Weirdos of X are much more positive than our ex-friend, Mr. James Warner. (laughs) Well, you
1: know, everybody has their own little niches they enjoy. And yeah, I I was not at all a a Kieran Gillen fan. I didn't really know about him until I started reading Eternals, and that got me excited for this series. So we have wrapped up all the prep work. We've talked about the Avengers, the X-Men, learned who these Eternals were. And today we hit the start of the event itself. We're going to talk about four issues today, three kind of briefly and the last in a little more depth. Those first three are the Judgment Day free comic book day special, the Hellfire Gala one-shot, Immortal X-Men number four, and then we'll finish up with Axe, Eve of Judgment. Sound good?
2: Sounds great. And it's, uh, I think, my, my sense is... We're finally getting paid off by several years of Krakoa-era plotlines. A really good time uh, to be an X-Men fan. Everything is starting to sort of connect, and uh, I'm starting to feel paid off by some of these plotlines that we've been tracking.
1: Awesome. So for this, we're not going to get into every last nook and cranny of these X-Men books because there's lots of them. We're going to focus mostly, I'm sure we'll wander here and there, we'll focus mostly on the things having to do with this event itself. So, back on free comic book days, that that was May, right? Yes. Whenever that was. We had uh, this Judgment Day book that has three stories in it, two of which have to do with our story here. So, this first one is called Of Deviation and Mutation, two big words, by Kieran Gillen with art by Dustin Weaver. This is like a nice little intro for readers who haven't, like us, been following everything Eternals going forward. So, what did you think of this little story?
2: Yeah, it's a good catch-up story. It it shows the the, the key stakeholders. There's, I guess, some fun art um, showing. I guess older versions of Avengers and Eternals and X Men, and we get some of the, I guess, million years ago Avengers. Which
1: yeah, the I'm the, not sure the BC Avengers. I think we love I think
0: them, them right? but <laughs> no, I but guess they uh, exist.
1: It shows, I mean, the Eternals have been around an awful long time. So this shows, I guess, the the seeds of this event actually do go back, way back to just shy of a million years ago, it says, which must be probably, I'm thinking just before Ernos launched his omni-genocidal war, got his his rear end excluded, because he's talking to uh, Odin, and he's telling him, hey, we've got these, we've got a monkey problem here, Right. These monkeys yep. have evolved slash mutated slash deviated, maybe these words matter, and yep. they've got some psychic abilities, little telepathy, a little telekinesis, and they're starting to show a little bit of a hive mind issue. And Orinos, he's hes not one to let things fester, right? He's, a, he's kind of a root and branch kind of guy, so he says, hey, we're just, we're just not going to take any chances. This looks like it might become excess deviation. We're just letting you know we're going to kill them all.
2: Yep. He's very committed and, uh, to the eliminating excess deviation requirements, right. but of interest, it does not seem like he is sort of out of control or out of his mind at this moment, which we'll see a little bit later, some of the other journals when they are correcting excess deviation. He's very
1: of- calculating, he's very much calm, and he has a plan he's going to carry it out. And he's not really asking Odin here for permission, he's just kind of letting him know, we, we know your Avengers are out there. You're powerful. We respect you enough. We're gonna clue you in in case you're wondering what this giant fire is. But yeah, uh, I was
2: curious about that. Like, what? Why does he have him there? Is it that? What you're saying is just to let him know, like, hey, we're gonna do this. Or I think is so. He sort of testing the waters. Like, are these guys gonna be a threat <laughs> when we are doing our stuff?
1: I mean, we've seen in other encounters where they have had some some problems with the Avengers. I think it's just like you know, if you're doing like uh, some 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 trees getting cut down on your property, and just let yeah. your neighbors know, hey, you know, I'm going to have some equipment back here, some branches <laughs> might fall, you know. Yeah, exactly. Just just being a polite neighbor. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, you know, I'm, I'm still going to do it, but I just want to let you know ahead of time. So Odin, he, he takes some free booze, and he says, yeah, that's fine. Thinky monkey is not worth a war, he says. So, yeah, they stamp out that particular excess deviation. I think this really raises the question of, and this is going to be the key to the event, what what is excess deviation, right? Are
2: mutants deviants? Right. Do they, what's do they count? What's natural, I suppose, is, is sort of the idea, and what's just natural evolution? Mm-hmm. Mutation, so are, okay, deviation, bad.
1: Which is a, a fine line. I'm, I'm sure we'll see it'll be exploited by different people for different reasons. So we jump ahead to still not quite the present, but recently we see this giant, no kidding, obviously excessively deviated deviant Grown to full on kaiju size, looking yes. like one of those toys you squeeze and the eyes and nose pop out. You know, this those
2: is an ultraman villain, yeah, for sure. Okay. It's like,
1: <laughs> he's got claws and a Kinda laser beam come out of his nose. It's it's goofy. So, yeah. he's attacking. I must be New York City, it's always New York City. Skyscrapers come tumbling down, thousands of casualties, and yeah. the Avengers show up. And, and how do the Avengers do against this one deviant?
2: Um. I guess they're not defeated, but they don't seem to know how to how to handle it. Really,
1: no. It's they're, they're kind of having some trouble. It's they're kind of going slow. They've got all this plasma jets they don't know what to deal with, and yeah. coming out of nowhere, we see it's Icarus and, and Cersei, yeah. and you know excess deviant, deviation. That's that's what they do. So they take this thing down, you know, two seconds flat, and we can see their eyes are glowing. They're talking in kind of all capital letters and italics. They're when they see excess deviation physiologically they can't not respond right
0: yeah
2: this is when they're they're most robotic essentially they go into kill mode
1: <laughs> right it's those those three principles they protect celestials uh correct excess deviation and protect the machine yep and this is excess deviation and they have to stop it yeah, and then they have a little chit chat with the Avengers afterwards, you know, saying this is what we do.
2: Yeah. So back what I'm wondering the is happy that they got the assist.
1: Mm-hmm. You could make the argument that excess deviation, you know, it when you see it, because if you're an Eternal, you either feel this physical compulsion or you don't, right? Correct. So like yep. back in BC, Euronos, he's thinking, well, I should probably take care of this. He's not in full on protect the machine, correct the deviation mode he's making a choice. So I think you could make the argument that if you have a choice, it's not excess deviation.
2: Correct. But he he was very much about protect the machine, as we saw in the Eternals one shot. And so uh, he he seems to liberally interpret that guideline to mean if you see something that could become a threat, preemptively take it out.
1: Right. I guess we we talked about something about type one errors and type two errors, and he's very much about not, you know, not missing any, uh, any possible sparks. Yep. So now we jump ahead again a little bit to Krakoa itself, and we have a machine narrating for us. I always love this machine narration. It's it's a nice little character. What what do you think of this machine narration?
2: You know, the the machine annoyed me, but (laughs) Kieran is a good writer, and every time I I start an issue that he's written right, it starts with a machine narration, and I'm like, God, this is obnoxious. Why do I like this? And then, (laughs) you know, I finish the issue, and I'm like, that was a great story. I loved it. So it's definitely got its own voice, right? And it it's maybe better than just the omnipotent narrator because it's, oh, for sure, you know it's a it makes a little more sense. But the the weird sort of sarcasm that it's that it's got is um, not my not my cup of tea.
1: I liked it at the beginning of Eternals when the machine was damaged, and we, we now know it because Fastos was messing with it, and yeah. that it made sense that its personality would be kind of screwed up then. And now it's a, it's much more calm. And reasonable, yeah. manner, but it still has a little bit of a sense of humor, which I think is fun. So we're here on Krakoa, and we see—I uh, don't know which time this was—that Cyclops is being reborn again. Maybe the one where he ended up becoming Captain Krakoa, because it seems very yeah, recent. Knows. I
2: mean, he's he's died several times at this point.
1: Not not as much as uh, as some, but a couple times. But the new but this thing is here
2: before X Men, before he goes public, um, because they are talking about how it's a secret, right? Whereas current times, it's it's just, you know, the secret has been revealed. It's still
1: private, sure. Well, it's not entirely private because we are shown that Jack of Knives is hiding there invisibly in the background. He's one of these, he's an Eternal, but he's part of the kind of crime lord setup where he kind of just does his own thing. And I guess uh, Krakoan security is not strong enough to prevent jack-of-knives and sneaking around.
2: I have some thoughts on Krakoan's security <laughs> when uh, we get to the Gala issue. So, okay, yeah, I'm yeah. not surprised. And honestly, I don't know if, if he even needed to be in the shadows to sneak around. <laughs> he could like just have a fake
1: mustache out. on and be fine. Yeah. <laughs> so, he's uh, he's working for Druig. He reports back. And uh, Druig's not entirely surprised. They already kind of knew, I don't know who his other source was, that uh, the mutants have kind of solved the death thing. There's a little back and forth. Well, are they eternal? They're not really eternal. They're just just immortal. But
2: yeah, they seem to take offense at the idea of them being okay. eternal. That's yeah, thing.
1: they think that's like a eternal TM kind of a kind of a term.
2: I would and, say one thing I, I do love. I w- I've not been a lifelong Eternals fan, I've, but I've kind <laughs> of read lots of issues this year. Although you know, there's only so many issues they've been in. But the idea of somebody being around for a million years, right, and then dealing with with a person that lives you know, say what eighty years, ninety years, hundred years, and sort of treating them as children. It's a sort of elf versus human dynamic, and I oh, think yeah. it's played really out here right, where they're just like, okay, come on, right, like <laughs> even like to them, even apocalypse is a baby, right, barely been around a few years,
1: <laughs> yeah, even they say uh I think it's crow, one of the deviants talks about having been around for tens of thousands of years, and they're like, yeah, get get back to me in a million,
2: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> So, Which is it's a wild concept, you know. Mm-hmm. And they've done this so many times, right? We see the million years ago they've eradicated... you know, how many species have they eradicated over the the millions of years they've been around?
1: Yeah, orinos this is not the first time that orinos has found some thinking monkeys and decided, yeah, we don't need these around.
2: <laughs> yeah. But Druig, he's still kinda
1: keeping his options open. He's probably we can tell he's a politician type, he's gonna play this for whatever is to his advantage. But now at least he knows what's going on with the uh, X Men, and we get this cool splash page, which is a nice. This will make a great poster. Where we see that the three groups, we see the uh, the X Men on the left facing off angrily against the Eternals on the right, and the Avengers just kind of in the middle keeping them separate. Do you think this is going to be the shape of the event? That it's really X Men versus Eternals, and Avengers just being referees there. in the middle.
2: That's been my impression of you know. I've, I've read a little further ahead, I guess, than you have. I'm, I'm up to date and. Not much has changed. It seems to be very much an Eternals and X-Men story with, I guess, Avengers thrown in just because if you're destroying worlds, and the Avengers might have something to say about it.
1: Makes sense. I, I did notice two other things here. We see in the background on the right, just below Cap's outstretched left hand, that looks like Uranus, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah. Which, definitely. Uh, as far as we know, I mean, this is just a poster. It doesn't have to be... You know something that actually happens, but as far as we know, is still crazy. locked up in exclusion. Yeah. It has been for oh, probably close to a million years. So if he gets out, or if he's let out, that's that's a big deal. Yes. And the other thing I noticed is again could be used artistic license. In the background, we see Avengers Mountain, who is the uh, the celestial known as a progenitor, with his outstretched fist and thumb sideways. Like he's a Roman Roman emperor, not the side. Yeah, let him know. Is he gonna say thumbs up, thumbs
2: thumbs down? Yeah, that's (laughs) an interesting artistic liberty.
1: So that is the free comic book day uh, issue. Anything else you want to add on that one?
2: Um, Not on the main story. I think maybe we hit on the the backstory quickly. The third story by Jerry Duncan in this yep. FCBA.
1: I am also dealing with a little bit of a cold here, so if I go silent once for in a, in a while for a couple of seconds, that's just me trying not to cough in your ear. <laughs> so okay. yes, we've got this. We, we skip. We're going to skip over this middle story, which is about the daughter of Blade and some other yeah, podcast. Don't worry about to, that.
2: To this event.
1: so uh, do you want to introduce what's going on in this uh, third story here?
2: Sure. So. Th- We've got a narrator basically talking about Krakoa, and they they seem to be describing Mutandum as a bit of a threat to something, right? I'm not sure, like what what their agenda is, right? Who who's speaking? Um, and they talk about how you know, left unchecked, the mutants will, might colonize the entire world and kind of dominate everything, which shouldn't, you know, which they think should not be the case. And then yep. we cut to a scene where Mary Jane Watson, uh, the Spider-Man paramour. And sometimes, anyways, yep. Yeah, sometimes Paraphor, <laughs> <laughs> uh, are sitting, I guess, at a local news channel, I don't know, table, and, and kind of pitching Krakoa meds and the benefits of them.
1: Yeah, I guess they're like Krakoan ambassadors, because uh, Aunt Anna Watson has some sort of a dementia-type illness, and I guess these uh, fancy Krakoan meds have really brought her back.
2: And I'm sure they're paying her handsome royalty to to be their spokesperson,
1: well, yeah, I would think so, or maybe I don't know. You have to skip the line and get the meds faster. Who knows? Could be, could be yeah. dodgy. But uh, Aunt Anna wants to see how the Succession TV show ends, so that's good for her.
2: But, but the uh, they- the oh. angry voice, the angry narrator voice, is basically saying like, "Yeah, this is great," but you know they've they've made your you know extended your life slightly and made your death a little bit less painful. But meanwhile, the mutants have actually leveled up right and they're immortal and you know, yeah, they're it's
1: almost different. like a, a inequality type statement about yeah sure some you know the poor get a little richer but the rich get super rich it's yeah. almost like that kind of a parallel does it does it is the absolute level important or is the discrepancy between the top and the bottom poor so now we get back to uh, aunt anna's house and mary jane's gonna tuck her in it's gonna be a nice evening we were good on tv we had fun and everything works out just fine for everyone involved, right?
2: Yep. Until we find out who the narrator is. It's Moira X, cyborg Moira X, who's uh, broken into the house and knows that Mary Jane has an invite to the Hellfire Gala and essentially grabs her, seems to put her in some kind of, I don't know, hypnotic trance, knocks her I out. I
1: don't know. It's like, a, it's like a sleeper hole out of the WWF, maybe? <laughs>
2: Yeah, kind of unclear, but essentially knocks her out and <laughs> talks about how she's going to wear Mary Jane to the gala.
1: Yeah. So what? What exactly is Moira's physical status right now? Right, because Minus at any... the end of Lives and Deaths of Wolverine, she kind yes. of died but came back in a techno-organic kind of form. So here, here I she looks like she a needs... like a monstrosity.
2: Yeah, I don't think she's a mutant. I think she's a consciousness inside of a cybernetic being. Okay, and it's unclear if. The entirety of her consciousness is housed in this mechanical body we see, or if she's like many sort of cyborg villains, you
1: know, many places at once sort of thing.
2: Yeah, exactly. Unclear, but she's no longer a mutant. She doesn't have her power. You kill her, she's dead. Doesn't reset anything.
1: So I guess right now we're supposed to believe that Moira's plan was always to kill all the mutants.
2: My is sense that is correct? her plan has always been to extend her own personal survival. Hmm. However that may be. And I thought that the issue with bringing back destiny was really that she always knew the mutants would always lose no matter what and that Krakoa would not exist if people didn't believe that it was going to survive forever. Okay. They didn't want that secret to be revealed. I'm not sure if she necessarily intended to kill the mutants and ensure her survival that way, but I don't think she thought Krakoa was going to last forever. She, I think she thought that Nimrod would still appear and destroy everything. But now that she's been kicked out, she's got a vendetta against them and really wants to, I guess, align herself with Orcus and, I guess, the man-machine alliance, whatever they call it.
1: Okay, so that was the Free Comic Book Day book. We're going to take a quick break here, and then we're going to be right back with the Hellfire Gala. Okay, next up we have our Hellfire Gala issue, which this year is only a one-shot. Thank goodness it's not about the right uh, length. Five-part series weaving through every book, and uh, I don't know, fashion not my thing. Maybe some people love this. Think it's the highlight of the year not for me.
2: But I live in this world where this type of an event is something I would go to, so I think oh I like it more than most, but <laughs> okay. even for me, the costume design focus is a little overborne.
1: Well, I mean, it is the X-Men. They like to do things amped up a little bit. So this right. is written written by Jerry Duggan, art by Chris Anker, Russell Dodderman, Matteo Loli, and C.F. Villa, Villa. Never quite sure what that, but C.F., this was your work. So we've got a lot of stuff in this book. Most of it not super relevant to uh, our Axe event. So we're gonna go through a few plot lines that we think are at least could be relevant. So first we've got Jean and Scott here, and they're looking. They're looking like a set up something an alternative power structure. I guess I think the Quiet Council isn't so representative. Is that what you'd say is going on here? That's my
2: sense of what's going on here. So basically, they're talking about the time that Gene was on the council and whether that her leaving it to form the X Men was a mistake. And it seems to almost be like a conspiracy to take charge. And if we're drawing parallels, of course, the uh, Eternals pretty much are always trying to vie for that prime eternal rule. So this is a bit like that, right? Another faction trying to take charge.
1: Yep, and we see that this is going on since the last gala. So their whole plan for the first uh, X-Men vote was, was part of this. And they're still trying to carry that plan forward a year later. I guess it is a year later in real time and in comic book time they're kind of kind of fast and loose with that but i suppose that's what we're supposed to think
2: yeah i don't spend too much time trying to make sure that the timeline works perfectly that's that's the smart way to go you'll lose
1: your mind that way the <laughs> next thing that matters is uh suddenly we have the avengers landing on Krakoa. oh boy we're we're really into it we see hulk and black widow and cap and tony in hulkbuster armor and there yep. they've landed oh we're flat into well, it already attacked so
2: by... I, some random collection of mutants. I guess these are what, new mutants?
1: Yeah, it's it's really just a couple people. It turns out this is just a training mission. These what seem to be Avengers are just some other mutants in, I guess, holographic disguises. And yeah, I think the only point of this is first to, you know, have little fake pop for oh are they are they fighting already? And then just to guess show that the mutants at least consider the Avengers potential adversaries.
2: Yeah, right. and they're running training missions to protect against an Avengers attack. I guess right. We've Which seen you know, them. I would, I would, you know, slight them for that, other than the fact that there was a whole X Men versus Avengers event. Right? They have fought before.
1: <laughs> Absolutely, and we saw them be all nicey nicey like during Trial of Magneto. But uh, they know that you know other powerful forces in the Marvel universe can sometimes not always be their friends. So it's good for them to be ready. They probably wouldn't want you know, footage of this to show up on the news that X-Men or trainer or, train- or mutants training to fight Captain America wouldn't Maybe be great it. PR right now. Maybe
2: not, no.
1: Okay, our third plot line, we're back to uh, Mary, Jane and Moira, who we saw back in the free comic book day. So we see that Moira is working very much directly with Orcus. She's up there on Phobos with Dr. Stasis and Fae Long, and they have MJ there all drugged out, all dressed up in a fancy gown. It looks like she's being attacked by a giant lobster. But again, as I say, I'm not a fashion person.
2: Maybe, maybe
1: that's maybe <laughs> yeah, shellfish are in this year. Dress. I don't that's know. It's just the dress. Oh, and
2: okay. Yeah. I, now I'm going to start sounding like I care about this and get really of <laughs> a lot. But I, I was kind of curious about who, who did her dress, right? Do the humans have to show up with, you
1: know, peasant attire or is uh, uh what's his name? Oh, Jumbo Carnation!
2: Jumbo Carnation, yeah. Is he doing the cl- the clothes for the humans as well?
1: Oh, I don't know who like for, I don't know who did Captain America's outfit. He looks like he's about to start singing about monorails. It's awful. <laughs> it's just it's, it's got. Ugh. But anyway, so Mary Jane's they're all drugged out and they talk about the plan. She's got this weird necklace thing on, and we see yeah. that Moira. So Moira here now looks like a regular old person. So I'm still kind yes. of confused as exactly what physical status she is, but. I guess you can just say the word techno organic, and she can look like kind of yeah, whatever she I wants. Yeah, I think I
2: think she has a bit of that shape shifting power that a lot of the high end techno.
1: Okay, I'll go with that. She's missing. And her also, right I, on.
2: I'm not sure she she wants to completely reveal herself to Orcus and let yeah, everyone know. She seems kind of like
1: oh, uh, what's her name An X Men Red, who's playing everybody. Who is oh, that yeah, from? Abigail, uh, Abigail, Ab- Brand, Abigail Brand, right? Who she's. She says she's on everybody's side, but she's really out kind of for – maybe not for herself, herself, but for her own impression of what the world should be like. Where Moira, again, is – Moira's on Moira's side. So she's missing an arm, and uh, Mary Jane has this weird necklace, which I guess is Moira's actual arm wrapped around her neck. So very physical, cartoony representation of, I'm in control of you.
2: Yeah, and I think she's only really with Orcas because Destiny and Mystique were hunting her, right? And I think she thinks Orcus is the you know most likely route to take out the mutants, therefore ensuring mm-hmm. her own survival.
1: Enemy of my enemy, sort of a thing. Yep. So they say that she's going to be wearing Mary Jane as basically as a as a meat suit. And again, again, exactly how this technology works, I don't think we have the most to worry about it. She's going to be in control of Mary Jane, and she's going to use this to get into the gala. And I guess again, that lacks Krakoa and security. Oh, this isn't picked up on the scans, but she gets in just fine. Ready for
2: X-Men, but not ready for Moira's hand around Mary Jane's neck walking in,
1: I suppose. So we get lots of celebrity sightings, blah, blah, blah. I don't really care about that. But she does run into Spider-Man there. (laughs) And this is kind of a funny panel because uh, Spidey says, hey, fancy meeting you here. We know that in the Spider-Man book, they're not exactly on the greatest terms right now. And all she says is, my aunt is on liquor, Cohen, medicine's. Which, it seems yeah. like she's one of those, like, Barbie doll, you pull the string and that's what she says. Like, completely yeah. not responding to Peter's question or anything she would actually say because it's Moira, and I guess yeah. she doesn't know that Spider-Man is Peter Parker and there's a relationship. So, she's just saying the one thing she knows to say. So, I thought that was pretty funny.
2: Yeah. And she has kind of a glassy look, right, in the in the panel where yeah. the spider senses are tingling and he's like, that oh, was a weird interaction.
1: So, she goes off, and I'm not exactly sure what Moira's... Goal is here, but she say takes her
2: up with Proteus, right?
1: Yeah, so Proteus is Moira's actual son with Professor Correct. Xavier.
2: Is part the uh, five.
1: Mm-hmm. He, she goes off with him, but before she does that, she makes a little tappy, tappy, tappy in a champagne flute, uh, and we see Doug seeing this, and we find out later she's tapping out SOS. So she's setting up something. She's setting up some drama.
2: Yep. Yeah. So my sense is Mary Jane has maybe limited like awareness of what's going on okay maybe think when maybe when Moira is like actively puppeting her she can't do anything but hmm. there's downtime you think that was
1: Mary Jane sending the SOS not Moira
2: yeah I don't think it was Moira alerting Doug I think it was Mary Jane trying to signal that something's up with her
1: could be I thought it was Moira just setting up uh, some drama later. You're in trouble right because <laughs> she wants she wants to start a fight and she knows that because Moira will know that Doug obviously would pick up on any kind of little code like that. So I thought it was more of a Moira thing. But they go yeah. off, and Moira just antagonizes her son for, again, I don't know why. Just saying, I think yeah.
2: The play was, I think the play was she knows about the Five and immortality. And her idea is if she can convince Proteus to get out of the program, then there goes resurrection.
1: Okay. So disrupt some of the ways that the mutants keep themselves going. Okay. I can yeah. see that. But she reveals herself to her son and basically says, you know, we never really loved you. We only created you because we needed a a doohickey to do a thing and uh, just awful mean stuff.
2: Yeah. And I think at this point, Moira is not known to the mutant populace at large. And I think Proteus would have thought that she was already dead, right? I think it's maybe the first time he became aware of her.
1: I think that makes sense. I think the secret is still only the quiet counselor would know this. Yes, they're trying to keep that, keep that quiet. That's their name. So now Spidey swings in because he's been tipped off by Doug. I did love this little mention of uh, Doug saying, as as Chris loves to point this out. So, Chris, if you're out there, I know you love to point this out, that uh, Doug also is uncannily accurate in reading body language. So he could tell that the Spidey was feeling kind of uncomfortable around that redhead. And oh, by the way, I'm just going to mention to you, not anybody else, That she was tapping out S.O.S. on the glass. So, of course, Spidey runs off, goes to rescue his damsel in distress, and kicks Proteus right in the face and starts a little bit of mess here at the party.
2: Yeah, there's a little bit of a fight that, you know, is very, very much nothing.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I think this is one of those, it's an X-Men book, you've got to have a fight somewhere. Sure, so yeah. have Spidey and Proteus fight a little bit. And then the rest of the five kind of jump in, even Egg. He's, I don't know what Egg is going to do. He's going to you know launch eggs at him, okay. a.k.a. Gold Ball. And then <laughs> uh, Wolverine shows up, pops the claws, because he loves to pop the pops claws out. Yep. And now we get the back and forth between the Mary Jane and the Moira. And again, I don't know how, if it's Mary Jane's body, how we're seeing Moira's face. Artistic license, techno, organic, don't worry about it. I think but, that hand can project
2: the Moira face, Sure. just as with we saw that. in the conversation on Mars with Fei Long, that if she feels like looking like her old self, she could just kind of make it happen.
1: Okay, perfect. But they realize that, hey, Moira's here, she's got a hostage, we've kind of got to let her go, but they send Crow right after to, to tail her, and I guess we'll be following Spider-Man and Wolverine in Amazing Spider-Man number nine on sale soon. So when that yep. tie-in comes, that's where the story's going to head off to.
2: Yeah, and hopefully it's it's good. I've actually been enjoying that um, Amazing Spider-Man book now that it's fully under Zeb Wells' direction a lot more mm-hmm. than I was, you know, the first part of it when he was, you know, writing a story with several other writers.
1: Yeah, we, uh, Jim and I have been mostly liking it, too. It's been kind of up and down. We didn't really like the whole Tombstone backstory so much. And I think we're getting and into Jim the genre of really junior sharp, art. So
2: I, I was not shocked that he didn't like the gloomy Spider-Man. but. In any event, it's interesting whether this plays into the current start of that series or not. That was my wild likely to be completely wrong theory that whatever happened at number nine might explain what happened in number one.
1: I as whenever we find an explanation of, of ASM number one, I will be happy. so tell us as soon as possible. Anyway, <laughs> here in the Hellfire Gallery, we have one more storyline that may be relevant. We've got Dr. Stasis, who we know was this kind of alternate, uh, Mr. Sinister, maybe, who knows. But he's working with Orcus and he's doing science because he loves to do science while all this is going on. And he's creating this I don't know what it is. It looks like a a rock or a tortoise shell with nasty green chewing gum stuck to the bottom. But he says, I'm ahead of schedule on delivering our payload. What do you think is going on here?
2: Yeah, I, I mean, he's just another one of the Orcus people that's trying to figure out a strategy for defeating the mutants. But I felt like the the art let us down on this scene. It's really unclear what's going on. Even if it's supposed to be a mysterious project <laughs> that he's working on, it's like I don't even know. Like you said, what it is, right? It's just. Yeah, a- I can't wall. tell.
1: Is it supposed to be an be- anti-mutant? Could this be anti-internal stuff? Yeah. It, it's who don't we don't know. So that's why I'm bringing it up because it could be relevant. It might be something completely separate. Right now, it's just mysterious. So that was all I want to say about Hellfire Gala. There's a whole vote, whole other things not really our purview. Anything else you wanted to add about Hellfire Gala?
2: At the very end of this we have Moira X meeting with Druig and Oh, yes, yes, yes. Giving some insight into the five basically saying like hey FYI if you want to take them out, this is how you do it.
1: Right, that's a good point. I want to leave that out. We see that she's it's after I'm, – I'm curious if this is going to be after the amazing Spider-Man tie-in because we see her show up, kind of talk about, oh, we had some – You it know, wasn't as bloodless as it wanted to be. Her hands are covered in, I guess, blood. I guess we're supposed to – think it's Mary Jane's. But yep. she washes up and we see that, yeah, she's working with Druig, at least that part of the Eternals as well. So I guess anybody who's not a mutant, she's willing to help them out. Yep. Okay, now over to Immortal X-Men number four written by our good friend Kieran Gillen, and art by Michelle Bandini. <clears throat> so I think there's really only one important plot point here. It's it's what happens to Mr. Sinister. So tell us, tell us something about what happens to Mr. Sinister here.
2: <laughs> yeah, so this is basically um, the issue is basically a character study on, I guess, uh, mm-hmm. Emma, but uh, at some point, it was oh, I, sorry, at the gala, it was revealed to emma buys scotch that dr stasis was a uh, another version of sinister and so they're in a quiet council meeting and they essentially bring this to his attention like hey fyi this orcus member is actually another one of your clones what the hell's going on
1: yeah she shares some of uh, some memories with the whole council including uh mr sinister And it's revealed that Doctor Stasis is a Mister Sinister, except he's got a club on his forehead instead of a diamond, which is deeply silly. Which makes perfect sense for claiming to be be also
2: older than the Sinister.
1: Right? Says he's the real Nathaniel Essex. Which what even does that mean at this point? There's so many of them running around. But uh, yeah, Mister Sinister just he freaks the freak out. Right? He he uses some of his mutant-derived weapons. He goes multiple man. We get some nice. Uh, I'm Spartacus. I'm Brian. Jokes that was funny. He makes a stink bomb out of uh, uh, night Nightcrawler. And he kind of bamps away, but he gets brought back. He eventually goes to escape, and before he can go through a gate, he's warned by Destiny: "You can't run from this. Don't be a coward." Yeah, which is a, a curious little thing because she she knows things.
2: She yeah, so she sees the future, you know, or I guess multiple possible futures, and she doesn't try to actually detain sinister which kind of gets him thinking like oh she was here she knew where I was gonna run to what does she know right mm-hmm. I because she he's, he's and pondering' he say, Don't be a coward
1: he's pondering offing one of his Moiras which would reset you know the universe again he got a, he, yep. he's been doing this reset 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 thing where he kind of it's like when you uh you play a video game you keep your save file so if you yep. go down the wrong path you can just you know go back to your previous save file with a knowledge of what you learned. Last yeah, run. I love that
2: idea. I just don't understand how the information makes it back to him.
1: Yeah, like that like is a computer good question.
2: They can handle universal resets or something. In, in any event, the idea is cool that he essentially has a bunch of Moira X clones and that he if he needs to can kill them and reset and then somehow access the knowledge of whatever led him to reset the universe so he can avoid that outcome this next time.
1: A very neat idea. Kind of like uh I've seen the Happy Death Day movies. Same, same, same kind of idea, but in a horror comedy setting. But he decides, yeah. in this case at least, not to reset the universe. Very, very kind of him to not reset the whole universe. But he does, you know, reboot his own uh, personality operating system. Which yeah, is I don't think he knew funny.
2: about. I don't think he knew about stasis, and so I, I didn't entirely understand why he rebooted his personality, other than maybe he was afraid that his mind had been altered in some way, to not know this information when he should have known it. But yeah, he goes through a process, reboots himself, seems to, you know, return to the people that are chasing him saying, yeah, I think hey, it's almost we'll just like out,
1: calming himself down. He knows he's kind of freaking out. He wants to be back to his calm self. So we'll yep. just reinstall the operating system. He goes back to the Quiet Council, you know, plays, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so contrite. And then he just disappears in a flash of orange light. Yep. And, uh oh. And Destiny, again, who would know, says he's not vaporized he's been kidnapped yep. which is troubling for them all around i think that's all we need to say about immortal axe but i think it's, it's very handy that this is being written by the same writer as the main event writer so he can he can play some of these games on his own okay we ready to roll into our main event here do it this is axe eve of judgment number one it's not going to be a number two but they still like to put that number one on there it is written by our man kieran gillen uh, art by Pasquale Ferry. And let's let's talk about this art first. What did you think of the look of this book, which is very different than our Eternals art has been in the past?
2: Yeah, um, it doesn't fit the Eternals as well. It doesn't feel as mythological. So I, I felt a little disappointed with the, the look of it. Mm-hmm. But I'm not really an art first guy. And so I got over it relatively
1: quickly. I'm not usually an art first guy, but I, I think that it really affected the way I read the story. That even not even just saying, "Oh, the art's not as good." It, it's very. It, it reminds me of like an after school cartoon kind of look. Like Druig, I think of Druig as this, this scheming, deep. You know, he's a, he is a snake. He has all these plans within plans. He you know inserts ideas into the machine to to trigger, even if his mind is white. He's this perfect villain. But here he looks like Skeletor, right? He's just – he looks like he's going to put his hands together and just – he doesn't seem like this weighty villain anymore and it, it makes me take his plans less seriously. That's
2: fair. I mean, and there's some weird choices like, you know, when we've got the, the introductory page, we're just showing everyone being at peace. Um, like, I don't understand what Jean Grey is doing, kind of sexy posing for no reason. While <laughs> Who,
1: who is that playing, playing guitar? guitar there on Krakoa? Any idea? Because the other two, I mean, Wolverine, Jean Grey, Nightcrawler, sure. They're yeah. the big ones. And kind of a, a guy with a guitar. and Guy with a guitar. and a, I, I don't know. But yeah, so we get, again, the setup, everything's there. And, and Druig, back in Olympia, he, we, we jump right into it. He goes to Domo, kind of his tech support guy. and says, hey, how would you kill all the mutants? You know, just, just for kicks and giggles. Yep. So, and Domo, he has, well, he's the perfect idea. We have this big old multicolor anti-matter bomb, anti-matter bomb of prodigious size, and they're just going to take it, pop it through a portal under the island of Krakoa, whole island's gone, all the mutants are gone. Sure, there'll still be a few on Mars and other places, but basically the mutant project will be destroyed.
2: Yeah, and I really, I, I liked this angle. It's very simple as a plan, but yet it, it's what they do, right? They eradicate Deviants. They don't really have any concerns about whether it's mm-hmm. overkill or not, and they have this portal technology, right? They can basically portal to wherever on Earth. It would seem very easy just to drop a single bomb. Yeah, so
1: saw location, Turtles, they just opened up a vent to like the mantle of the Earth and let up a bunch of you know, red hot lava. So yep. this would work. Well, basically the same kind of idea. So hey, this event could be over really quick. So Eternals yep. win.
2: And I appreciate that, right? Like it was sort of not coding like, oh, they're going to one-on-one fight, right? Which is a bit what Avengers versus X-Men felt like. In my mind, it was a little underwhelming because it was mm-hmm. a lot of...
1: And at least like, asked the question, well, why don't they do the simple version? Well, they're going to try the simple version, and we'll see yep. what happens. And we get the, uh, the title and credits, and we get our list of all the 100 Eternals. And I like the way they're, they're split up into the different groups, the ones on Olympia, Polaria, the Exclusion, and in addition, we get this key of who their uh, allegiance is to whether they're loyal to the Prime Eternal, currently Druid, whether they're independent, like our friends in Lemuria or the, uh, the Celestian Priests, or whether, you know, you can just pay them some money and they'll be loyal to whatever you want to be loyal to.
2: Yeah, and I, um, I have mixed feelings about the, the X-Men detail pages. You know, they have different levels of interest, but mm-hmm. I think Kieran does a good job of making these pages worth reading. I, I sort of just glossed over it when I saw it, and then, you know, we were talking in the Slack, and you, you know, had questions. Like, I think there's a question about why Sprite's not on the list.
1: Yeah, I, I think that might just be a mistake, because clearly she should be listed as under the Lemurian mission, which is where some of our Eternals, you know, feeling bad for the whole killing all the Deviants thing, are kind of trying to help out yeah. Lemuria and, and learn to live like Deviants in a good way. Well, and then so I She should be listed right? there. Mm-hmm.
2: They, they talk about these Delphin brothers later, or the, you know, the Voice does. Yes, and they talk about them being they count as two, but then you see in parentheses a four. Like, so what's that about? Yeah,
1: I wonder if we're even not going to get an answer to that in this series. I think that just be one of those things they throw in that oh, the Eternals have a deep, deep weirdness to them, and yeah, yeah they technically count as two, but there's four of them, and maybe we'll get a uh, an answer to that this year, but I think probably not. And yeah, I think you're
2: enough though at this point that until until I see him make a big continuity mistake like the lack of spriping noted, I'm going to think that it actually it means something by design, okay. yeah.
1: And we're also told by the machine voice, uh, we're, our attention is drawn to the ones, the uh, creatures in the exclusion. So some of these are listed by name, right? We know Fastos is there because he was locked up there by Druig. Oranos is there and Kronos. And some are just listed by letter, including this excluded E. So the machine points out as excluded E. And also points out that hey, if you count everybody up, there should be exactly one hundred Eternals at all times. They were created by the Celestials to be a hundred, and when one of them dies, they're immediately reborn. Yep. But it says hey, there's actually a hundred and one, and wants us to think about this excluded E. So I think this is clear. I think it's more clear than the uh, the Delphin Brothers that excluded E is going to be of importance to this story.
2: I think that's right. And the other thing um, I'll call out here is in the detail page, we have the hex listed, and that's flagged as all classified. I, I noticed in the mm-hmm. Free comic book day issue, um, Drug is looking at a computer screen in one of the pages, and it says the hex on it.
1: Ooh, I hadn't noticed that. Interesting. Yeah, I have no idea who the hex is or are, but it says there's six of them. Okay, that makes sense. And they're loyal to the prime internal. So this excluded E, my theory is that we're told that it's someone outside of the 100 real Eternals, right? And we're told that, uh, what does it say? That it's someone who's there for, oh, I'm missing the, uh, where is this said in the, it's told that he's there because he has some powers that could be useful to the Eternals. So my theory is that this is going to be uh, Thanos' own brother, Starfox, because Thanos and Starfox are kind of Eternals, but not really, because they weren't created by the Celestials. They were created by some sort of biotechnological, magical system uh, from their actual parents. So they're not going to count as the 100, but cert- he's certainly someone that the Eternals would have use for. He has these influencing people, make people like him powers. And his other name is Eros, which, hey, that starts with an E, so excluded E <laughs> makes sense. And have you been following what he's been up to lately? Do you have any idea?
2: No idea at all. Yeah, this I is... think
1: he was in the Guardians of the Galaxy book, the one where Thanos died. So I'm not sure what happened to him in that book, but maybe that explains why he's now locked up, if he is, in prison here at the Eternals. Interesting. So we're here... On the Moria. And we have our eternal friends feeling guilty about having called down Thanos by accident to call all all this death and destruction. Their deviant friends. And there's this weird little, I wonder again, if we just need to have a fight in a book. We have this little fight between Icarus and Crimson Carlisle, who is a new character as far as I can tell, who is an enhanced deviant. She has some tanks on her back, kind of like Bane, and they fight <laughs> a little bit and he beats her up real quick. What do you think this is trying to tell us? Anything?
2: I think this is, again, just trying to show Icarus, Circe, I guess fastest the, the, the small subset of Eternals that feel guilty about the fact that, you know, when they resurrect, they take mortal life and also feel bad that, you know, all they do is kill Deviants when maybe they don't deserve to be killed. And I think this is supposed to be perhaps the, the, the small subset of Eternals that we think are heroic or or that you can root for.
1: Okay, so then we head back off to, uh, what do we head off to? Back to the, ex- uh, no, I'm off off track here.
2: Yeah, back, back to, to the illusion. We've back to the got okay. druid kind of walking the halls, you know, strangely. And there's a there's a panel where we've got like a shadowy figure following him. That is and true.
1: I hadn't noticed the first time It It's kind of like a shadow, almost like a daredevil horn on his head.
2: Yeah, and I, it, it, you know, might play into your your. Eros theme because doesn't he have like a kind of a weird haircut? Maybe.
1: Oh, so this could be someone locked up, just kind of looking out of a cell. Could be. Yeah, yeah. Or that's it, it my looks, theory, It looks a lot like a Jack of Knives did when he was sneaking up on Krakoa. So one of it's one of his his brothers there.
2: Yeah, maybe but I think it's somebody scheming against Drick because all the Eternals seem to always be trying to you know become the Prime Eternal and take over. So something's going on.
1: Which is very subtle. It's not called out anywhere. It's just a little shadow on the, the side of a panel. Very neat.
2: Yep. And we've got so, Drake here meeting with Bastos, who, because of his attempt to destroy the the machine, has been excluded. Mm-hmm. He and, thought he could
1: damage the machine just enough to prevent the uh, resurrection, because resurrection kills a human. Yep. But turns out, nope, you, you can't just break that part. It breaks the whole thing. So he almost, he almost killed everybody. So he's yep. been locked up. But, uh... Makari and Ajak want his help on something, and so Druig lets him out. It's, it doesn't seem to be a deal. He lets him out because clearly he thinks it's going to be good for him somehow.
2: Yeah, I mean, his whole agenda is just retain power and maintain power. Mm-hmm. And he's, all the other turnals really seem to, to know. Re- they seem to know that he's not benevolent, even though he pretends to be benevolent. Mm-hmm. I do but wonder how that be- how
1: that vote went down that got him to be primate. So that happened completely off stage for us, but. I wonder who the other, other choices were. <laughs> not
2: many. I mean, I think at the very end of the Eternals run, they go into that and talk about how he moves the, the dominoes into position to
0: mm-hmm. you know,
2: secure the victory. The A lot of it depends on the Lemurie group not being present, because they sure. essentially are not there to vote. So he just happens to have a majority.
1: So uh, Makari and Ajax take Fasos back to Celestia, and... He's the builder tech guy and what they want to do is, again, as was mentioned in a one shot earlier, they want to replace their missing god because yeah. these two have talked to the Celestials in the past and now yeah. the Celestials aren't interested in Eternals anymore and they feel this missing, this void in their lives. And they're this huge ass throne, literally huge ass throne here for a Celestial to sit on and they kind of feel like something's missing if there's not a god on this throne. So they say, hey, let's make our own god which is a crazy idea, but the kind of thing an Eternal might might say. And they call Fastos over, and he thinks this is the worst idea he's ever heard. He thinks that messing with a machine, messing with a god, is just a bad idea, but he does kind of let slip that he thinks it's possible, which yep. is all they needed to know.
2: Yep. Yeah, he thought they were trying to get his help, and they were just trying to get confirmation from an expert that it could be done. Mm-hmm. And they're like, thanks, you, you know, convinced <laughs> us that we could do it. And that's all
1: yep. we wanted. from yeah. They exchange a knowing look, and Fastos just pops off through a portal, and they go to one room over where I say, hey, good thing we didn't introduce our guest. And it is, of course, Maybe Mr. Sinister it. himself. They were the ones who kidnapped him out of Immortal X-Men, out of the Quiet Council. And he's just, he's inside some sort of a crystal stasis situation right now. So yeah. he is out of commission, not being so sassy in this scene, still wearing a fabulous cape. But... We don't
2: I am get excited any words. For the possibility of people who don't read X Men, but for some reason are reading this event, getting exposure to Sassy. Sassy Sinister. sinister.
1: Love Sassy Sinister. Yes. And then we head back to Lamoria, and Fastos goes right to work trying to fix things. And we get this conversation, philosophical conversation between Crow and who is this, Thena. And I really don't like the way these sculptures are showing here. These were the sculptures we saw in Eternals where. Uh, tolau the deviant artist was showing himself crafted out of meat and then it was thena right crafted out of some sort of a uh, which metal was it? it was one of the one of the marvel metals that last forever kind of show off you know what's eternal and yeah, what's like very much not eternal and thanos blasted it as a critic but now they're saying oh he was actually a a participant a with with in making the art the okay. It, it, it seems like the kind of thing that was deeper in, in Gillen's head than it actually shows up on the page. And as it's drawn yeah. on the on the page, I think it looks kind of dumb.
2: Yeah, I don't, I'm looking at these pages and I don't remember any of this. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Other than basically them asking about whether Crow is going to hook up with Cersei and whether um, emotionally he could handle hmm. that. And everyone jokes about how she's a man-eater. And he still thinks it might be a good idea.
1: Sure. And I think the idea here is again to just Make sure everyone knows the relationship between kind of the upper class or the overclass, for the Eternals, and the underclass of deviants who you know they know they're going to be killed by Eternals when whenever they go go full deviant. Yep. So we head back for our last big scene back on Olympia with Druig and Domo, and you know he sent uh, Domo off to you know put this whole bomb plan together. Wanted it done in time for drinks that night. So let's let's take care of this, and they launch the bomb and everything's, you know, off. Time to have a t- t- toast with a toasted muffin and some kind of a drink. And what happens to our friends Domo and Druig as this bomb is on its way?
2: Yeah, one of the one of the principals kicks in, and they kind of have blood shooting out of their eyes and ears, and they start screaming, protect the machine. <laughs> yeah, and, no, right. like, yeah they're, they're, they realize and the what they're
1: doing. Go, go, you know, the, yeah, the blue color the of the machine, it's clearly not them saying this out of their own volition. Their most basic operating system kicks in, and they have to protect the machine. And it turns out that this plan to blow up Krakoa, that's the opposite of protecting the machine. So they have to scurry this. We can see the bomb is already under the island, because the island walks like a man, they have to call it back before it can blow up, and they bring it back, and they realize, hey, this quick and easy plan for killing the humans, well, well that's not going to work. Then The machine considers Krakoa to be a fundamental part of itself. So we, we can't just blow up the island. So who does Druid turn to now for expertise in the field of genocide?
2: Oh, <laughs> yeah, the, per, the page turn. Um, yep. With good friends and, uh, I guess, destroyer, Grandfather. Of, <laughs> destroyer of monkeys, Uranos. <laughs> yep, this is Oranos. So we
1: saw Oranos back when he was just killing the thinky monkeys. We saw him in the heretic one-shot when he wanted to kill everybody who wasn't an Eternal. And we see him here in the exclusion. Uh, Druid come to for a little bit of help. He says, I have a proposition. And Uranos now sees that he has the upper hand and kind of I kind of belittles his grandson here. I think I might be a little more magnanimous yeah. in this position if I wanted to get well, he, out.
0: He,
2: he, he belittles him all the time. And we've seen that, and partially because Druid is the one that turned on him, which had him excluded in the first place.
1: That's true. Back in the uh, Oronite War... I guess yep. uh, Druig saw the tide turning and wanted to be on the victorious side. Hey, there's a parallel yep. to the yeah, and X-Men as he, and well.
2: said that he felt more akin to Thanos than, than Druig, so right, yeah, not a fan of it. Okay, Druig, and that's but... where we
1: leave this off to be continued in AXE Judgment Day number one, which I know you've read. I have not yet, so we're not going to talk about it. But that is the only book, I think, that came out – this next week in the series. Is that right? Just the one book?
2: That's correct, yeah. Next next month, it looks like we're getting really They're going to start it coming it. hot and heavy, right?
1: And yeah. we're going to, Chris and I will decide, you know, which ones actually matter enough to talk about, which ones we'll talk about quickly. Yeah, well, you know, we'll, we'll take them as they come. So what did you think of this this first real week of the event? How hyped are you?
2: I was intrigued, but not quite hyped. Okay. Um, but there were, like I said, there are a lot of elements that – are coming together that I do like. Right, I am surprised but also pleased that the more X story is weaved into this. I am always interested in political fights and power struggles, so we've got that both in the Gracoa Council, you know, with the X Men scheming sort of against them, the Destiny Mystique kind of stuff going on. But then we also have it a little bit with the Eternals, where we've got you know the Icarus, Circe, Bastos faction, the Makari. Um, ajax faction and then the druid faction and I, I view uranus as sort of you know the x factor i, I don't really think he's part of the fastest or sorry he's, the, he's uh, a
1: wild card yeah
2: yeah so it's a lot of seeds i mean it, this is what four issues of setup so maybe probably could have done this in three but for me personally i just i see a lot of storylines and threads that do interest me
1: Sounds good. Yeah, I was. I think again, I was also more hyped before this week. But again, I've just been reading all this stuff, so it clearly takes some some work to bring people on board the event who haven't been. You know, re- I, I don't think Eternals was a huge big bestseller. So if it's going to be the big summer event, they have to they have to assume there's some people hopping on board who don't know anything from an Eternal. So again, yeah. that's why I'm going to be a little bit okay. Let's get on with it. I am very curious if there are folks out there who. Pick this up and read this issue as okay. There's an event. I'm going to follow this event and don't know anything about the Eternals. What they would think picking this up because it's clearly going to be a very different experience than what what we're experiencing. So anyone out there so. in, in really? that position, send us a letter.
2: Yeah, yeah, that would be really tough. I don't think the Eternals are easy to access, so it's an interesting concept.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, but I thought it was. I, I think they're very interesting. Actually, the movie was terrible. I don't know if you're. Uh,
1: oh, yeah, we're a, not even movies,
2: but. I know Chris hates the all, all the MCU, but even me, an MCU fan, like I just thought the movie was god awful. And so I got into Eternals more just to see, like, why would they greenlight this? As a movie?
1: <laughs> yeah, when, when I opened Eternals, it really felt like oh, it's like when you you click on a, a random Wikipedia article and realize there is this whole vast field of knowledge or you know subculture you didn't know existed, but suddenly there's all these arguments going on. And all these subtleties and distinctions you never heard of, and you kind of want to go in and just explore. And that's what I felt like, you know, finding out about who the Eternals were. So that's what I'm curious to see. And in this whole event so far, we haven't seen much of our A group at all. Very fiddle, little way of Avengers.
2: Yeah, very little Avengers. It's weird that the Eternals seem to be so cautious of the Avengers,
0: mm-hmm.
2: because they're, they're sort of positioned as, you know, the trump card to the X-Men, and the X-Men mm-hmm. over the last... I don't know, three years, two, three years, have sort of been shown as, you know, the unstoppable, you know, immortal group that, you know, arguably are not that interesting because death is meaningless to them. Mm -hmm. But then you're presented with Eternals, it's like, okay, yeah, they have the exact same, you know, can't be killed capabilities, but also they've been around for, you know, a million years in that state. So actually, they are a threat to this. Group.
1: Mm-hmm. And I'm curious to see if Avengers Mountain comes into play because that's a Celestial. It's the Progenitor. And we saw it in that, that poster like splash page arc with a thumb out. And we did see in a semi-recent issue of Avengers that it looked like a Deathlock was trying to merge with that dead Celestial. And it kind of didn't work, but then maybe it kind of did. So I'm really waiting to see if that's going to pay off in our event here, because that could be a huge thing.
2: Yeah, well, having read it, I will say yes. I-, I think you will be much more hyped once you read Judgment Day, issue number one. All right, it uh that really felt more like the kickoff of an event. And this I'll be doing that soon because I have
1: kidding. my regular Marvel recording with Jim in the morning tomorrow. So once that's out of the way, then I'm going to turn to my uh, my Axe Avengers X Men stuff and see what's up there. So that's where we're going to wrap up for today. Uh, next week, I we expect Chris will be back. We certainly wish him well. Uh, thank you so much, Ruben, for jumping sure. in here at the last minute and uh,
2: filling the seat ably, so we could keep our story going. I expect and you guys to continue. I, I love listening to the cast and do not want to be the harbinger of the end of of. Uh, <laughs> oh no, you
1: you very much are helping us keep going. We appreciate it a ton. So thanks again, everybody, and. Reach out to us with your letters, questions, ideas, and we will see you again next time.